Welcome to the Chameleons Podcast. In this episode, I met with Jun van Tetschner, CEO of the web browser Vivaldi. This conversation focuses on the internet, how it works and why it works the way it does, as well as what we need to be aware of to benefit from its possibilities without putting ourselves or our societies at risk. There are different players in this field who collect our data for different purposes. Data is an important and profitable entity in our societies today, a value that will only increase in a world where big data and personalized solutions are advancing. I hope this conversation will contribute to more reflections about what all this means to us, our lives and our future. I also hope it will inspire more people to make conscious choices about what products and solutions to use and to follow the development of the internet closer in an era where AI will play a tremendous role for the development of internet-based information resources and tools. I am Imak Samrana, and this is the Chameleons Podcast. Welcome to the Chameleons Podcast. I'm really delighted um, to introduce today's guest, Vivaldi's CEO, Jun von Tetschner. He has a very unique insight into the development and the implications of the web, what consequences it has for us and, and the need we have of privacy today and what we need to do in order to ensure that we have our rights to privacy are taken care of. I'm just delighted to have you here today, Jon. So welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. You've been in this field for a while, and, and um, I would like to start with asking you about the early, the, or the, the late 90s, mid 90s, when, you, when this whole kind of web era started. If you can just tell a little bit about that story, how it started for you. And whether you really understood how important the internet would end up being and how how much it would impact our lives. Yeah. I mean, for me, it, it, it goes very far back. We actually started working with the web in 1992. Mm. So- so at the time I was working at Telenor Research or Televerkesforsnis Institute, as it would be at the time. Uh, so that's the state-owned Norwegian telecommunication company, and I was at the resource department. And in '92 I was actually a student, so I was I was still studying and finishing my master's degree. But uh, anyway, uh, the team where I was working, we kind of discovered the web, and we were doing things like setting up the first web server in Norway, uh, one of the first 100 in the world. Wow. Uh, And we were kind of setting up things like, I mean, I was working with things like setting up something that would be called an intranet today, but that's before that term kind of existed. So it was basically internal websites and, and, and the like. We were working on things like search. So we would take content from various different uh, kind of sources, like uh, from text TV, and we would kind of put that into the system. It would then, you could search through it and, and see results. So it was a very simple search engine. Personally, I was also working with tools to take uh, kind of content from word processors. So we were using something called FrameMaker at the time. 
So I would build a tool that would take FrameMaker content and create HTML pages out of it. So we were looking at kind of various things. And then, I mean, then we started building the Opera web browser uh, in 1994. So, mm. but we had a couple of years before that where we were kind of working with various use of, of, of the web. But we were very early. I mean, I actually went to the first World Wide Web conference. When was this? I think it's it like 93, 94, probably 94. Uh, so, I mean, things were starting to come into play and, 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 and kind of we were looking at, okay, how could this evolve? But I mean, we were very excited about this. But we kind of didn't really know where things would go. I mean, the last project that I did before the web was to create a word processor for a standardized format called Open Document Architecture, ODA. And uh, I mean, it was a standard, but no one used it. So mm. we made a word processor that no one used, <laughs> which had great capabilities. You could in include multimedia, you could uh, I mean, the the kind of open document architecture file format was actually very rich and you could do a lot of things in it. Um, we included a, a built-in email client and, and, and the likes of we kind of, we were doing pretty cool stuff, but the, the thing was no one was using this, this standard. So uh, you ended up creating a browser instead. Yeah, I mean, actually, building a word processor was a good exercise for us to then build the browser afterwards. Mm, yes, yeah, so, so you built on that work, in a way. Well, I mean, we built the knowledge. I think what we were thinking, okay, we built this word processor. We felt it was quite big. It was like six megabytes. We thought that's far too big. We need to build a browser that's a lot more efficient and smaller and faster than that. So we learned our lesson from building the word processor when we were building the first version of the browser. And and the Oprah browser became really popular. I remember uh, I used it when it came out. Uh, and it had kind of this stamp that it was safe to use in the way that it was kind of considerate of our protecting our privacy. Yeah, was I mean, privacy is part of it. Uh, I mean, for me, I mean, from the very beginning with Opera, actually, a lot of our focus was adapting to the needs of the user. So there was a different kind of uh, focus, I would say. I mean, as you can expect uh, for, for me and with my father, my focus was, okay, we need to adapt to people that have uh, special needs, right? So we put in things like uh, we had zooming in from the very beginning in the browser. So you could zoom the content. Uh, we put in keyboard shortcuts, uh, single key keyboard shortcuts, and, and, and the like. A lot of things that would adapt to the needs of the individual, uh, which then became useful when we went into things like mobile and other kinds of devices. Mm -hmm. On mobile, we became the number one browser in the world. We uh, had a market share in certain markets like in, I mean, Africa, 80% plus markets here, uh, India, 80% markets here plus, and in a lot of other markets uh, where we provided solutions that, I mean, I, I've heard this from a number of people. They were basically saying the internet was, at the time, was was Opera. That's mm. the tool that they would use, and 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 we had a unique position at the time when we were, we were doing this. And another thing, I mean, I was really proud of that because I was thinking it was important for us to get people on the internet mm. because it would be the great equalizer. That's the way we were thinking it. Equal access to information and services would be a really good thing. 
And then uh, eventually um, you sold Opera uh, or you, you sold your shares or did you? I get... sold my shares. I mean, basically what happened at Opera was a disagreement with the investors about the direction of the company. Mm -hmm. And actually, interestingly, my interest was in building the company and their interest was selling the company. And mm -hmm. in, a, in a way, they saw me as a distractor mm -hmm. with regards to that because uh, they wanted to put up a big for sale sign. So actually what ended up happening then is I quit, I sold my shares mm -hmm. and then they spent the next six years trying to sell the company and eventually sold it to a Chinese consortium. Yeah, so that's how it happened. And then you started over again, creating a new browser. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, after Opera kind of uh, things changed at Opera and, and I mean, after when I was leaving, I was thinking I'm going to continue using Opera. I don't see any other reason. I'm not going to build another browser. Uh, but things changed. I mean, a couple of years later, they decided to throw away basically the de design principles that we used to have about adapting to users and, and having rich functionality. And then they threw away all our source code that we had spent 17 years building in favor of using Chromium as a base. So that those two things meant that users were unhappy that had kind of been choosing Opera because of the design choices that we had been making. So I felt, okay, we need to build another browser because there's no other browser that was doing things the way that I believe you should, again, focusing on the needs of the end users more than anything else. And so so we built Vivaldi, and and that's kind of what we've been doing now for. I mean, it's almost ten years, ten years, kind of since we started. Wow! Could you tell me a little bit about what Vivaldi is, what the features are, and I actually feel like Vivaldi is even even better when it comes to user friendliness, and it's it's uh, getting faster and faster. But the most important reason um, why I actually. Uh, use it a lot is and and it's my main browser is that it's super safe it feels mm -hmm. safe and i guess that kind of feeling of safety that you're thinking of kind of the user and their privacy needs against tracked and and just all the information that that people are measuring and 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 saving about you from the internet I mean, our, our focus is basically, I mean, when we started building the browser, we are thinking, okay, we are building a browser for our friends. That used to be kind of our go-to motto. That's what we are doing. And so when it comes to your friends, one thing, you don't spy on them. So mm -hmm. that's part of it. We do not engage uh, in in kind of data collection on our users. And you may think, isn't that kind of the case always? But then you look at it and a lot of the browsers even even the browser makers themselves are actually ad companies and sadly the direction that ads have gone on the internet has gone into basically collecting as much information as you can mm. which is very alien to me i mean the idea that you should be able to collect a lot of information and share it with others uh, just feels extremely alien so one thing is that we are not collecting information ourselves, but that then we also put in a tracker blocker and ad blocker. Uh, so you, as a user, you can control what level of information you want to share with different sites and the like. I, again, it's it's a reaction to the ad models the, the web has gotten over time. Mm. 
which are based on what you've been doing online, uh, what you've been doing even uh, in the real world. Uh, and I, I just think there's there's something seriously wrong with uh, companies doing this. And I, I, in some ways, I don't understand kind of why they would go that direction. Uh, sometimes using the term ethically challenged, uh, <laughs> but 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 this concept of basically thinking because the data is actually available to you that you as a company have some rights to it. Mm. And I mean, this concept, okay, okay. I mean, you're uploading things to the internet to some certain sites and, and then you're giving supposedly them rights to your stuff, which doesn't really seem right. And, and similarly, again, the, the concept of building a profile on people on what they're doing on the internet uh, and then utilizing that to select ads and all the content. Uh, I think we're seeing consequences of that in society. And that's why, I mean, what we've been doing is, again, not engaging in it, providing the tools or helping users uh, kind of defend themselves, but also engaging in saying, hey, this should be regulated, this should be changed, this shouldn't be allowed. And I'm hoping that regulators will come and uh, to the same understanding. They're still kind of, I mean, it's it's we we discussed this. We've been discussing this with uh, the the EU and, and others that would like to listen. And uh, I mean, I think what we are finding is that yes, they're seeing there is a problem. Although they have, they are they're afraid of limiting their companies and and kind of taking away competitiveness. And uh, so I think in a way you need the big countries to, to work together and to make a decision on kind of what kind of society do we want to live in and put regulation in place. I think that's important. I, again, we will do our thing to try to protect our users, but I really think for society's sake, you need to go further than that and actually put regulation in place on what is uh, is allowed to collect of information and how you can use it. One thing is kind of the information that's collected from us and the other, uh, other side of it is uh, the information that's provided to us. Do you think uh, like it, with regard to disinformation and and that that disinformation can be tailored to you because they have so much information about you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's part of the problem that we are seeing. If you're looking at division in society, it's because you have algorithms that look at what you've been looking at so far and give you potentially more of the same and, and actually potentially more of angrier same mm. because they, what they've basically found out that okay people uh, if 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 you're um if you, you show them angry content they're more likely to engage with it which keeps you on the platform so the algorithms are optimized for engagement and as a consequence uh, optimized for bad content right because, because feel people feel connected well, I think it's 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 mostly a question of basically what people react to, and 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 sometimes it's it's a question of okay, what is it that people are? I mean, clickbait. There is a reason why clickbaits are the way they are. So you see a clickbait and you click it. It's not necessarily the content that you'd like to look at, but it kind of caught you in some way, and then and then you go after it. Mm. And I, I think sadly that's what's being played with here. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to the commercialized strategy of the internet and the, the big uh, companies that's been kind of driving this development, um, I'm wondering what would have been an alternative business model uh, that would have been somewhat competitive or 
would it have been possible kind of to create something that wasn't commercially based? If so, what would the alternative be? Well, I mean, can it still be commercially based? I mean, I think the internet is is kind of funded by ads to a great extent, but the ads were different, right? I mean, it's it's kind of like you would look at ads in newspapers and the like, and they would be typically related to the newspapers and relevant for the readers of the newspapers. Mm. On the web in the early days, and actually for the most part until probably about 2010 to 12, the ads were actually based on the content that you're viewing. So if you went to a tech site, you would see tech ads. Those would be relevant to you in your language. Uh, the change was that the ads became relevant to who you are, uh, which changed the total uh, kind of ad market. I think the the former model was working fine. The new model is not working fine in, mm. in any shape or form. So mm. I think, I mean used to mean i mean the point is also that for for example specialty sites and the like it uh, funding was easier because if you're providing a tech site you would be able to find kind of tech advertisers for your site but those tech advertisers would now reach people through the basically that google and facebook and the like would tell them okay so these are people that are inside interested in tech mm -hmm. and potentially even they have visited your site so now you want to spam them wherever they go for the next two weeks mm -hmm. which actually is uh i mean it's very frustrating for a lot of people because they they don't like the idea of being followed by ads so i think in a way we don't really need to do a lot of changes we can go back to the old ad model which was working fine and we can get rid of the current ad model which is not working fine i think other models that people have discussed sadly i mean they include things like payment yeah now if you think about it okay i can say okay uh, a, a lot of newspapers now are behind paywalls now i may have i may be able to pay for those so I can go and access them. But I think it's very unfortunate that a lot of other people won't be able to do that. Mm. Because the point of the internet was the great equalizer, equal access to services and information. And if it's kind of this, only if you can afford to pay for it, then you can access to it. And then the question is, the content that you then get access to, news and the like, is that content then going to be, is there a reason why you're getting it for free? Mm. It's, is there someone with an agenda? Now, it can be a good agenda or a bad agenda, but worst case scenario, you have someone with a bad agenda and a bad business model, which is kind of some of the business models that have been built up utilizing this uh, the fact that ads follow you. They are kind of based on, on again, making content that make you click it, mm. which you then click. And it, in the best case scenario, it just wastes your time. Worst case scenario, it actually influences your opinion of the world and, and makes you angry and, and, and the like, but keeps you occupied at the same time. So there's a problem with the model that's been made. And it, and I, I really think the only way to solve that is, is actually regulation. And do you think it needs to be regulated on uh, from like locally in every single country that, or would you think of a more like a global agency? I mean, I would love for the EU and the US and then others. Uh, I mean, I would I would see the the EU and the US to be natural leaders in this. I, I wish it was possible for someone like a Norway or an Iceland or a smaller country to take the lead on something like this. 
but I don't really see it happening. I, I, I don't think they feel they can go and do that. And I mean, I've seen uh, there's good good people in both Norway and Iceland that have been pointed out uh, pointing out this these problems. Uh, the the Icelandic Consumer Council, the Norwegian Consumer Council, have been pointing out these issues and and that there are issues and that we need regulation. Mm. But I think they're all focusing then on the EU to actually do something about it. So the EU is probably the most willing to do something. But on the other hand, there is a limit there, and I don't think they're going far enough so far. It's interesting, and, and like I mentioned earlier, and there's a, not, a lot of focus on AI right now, and I guess we'll see uh, a lot of committees uh, all over in different regions being uh, formed, and and maybe even agencies. It seems very connected to the internet because AI might be a technology that you apply uh, in many different ways in many different tools but the main kind of scenery for where it's going to play out is the internet yeah the point is you're working i mean it starts with big data so you start to you have a lot of information that you can use and then you build algorithms to learn from that data and basically the ai is then uh, taking that further and, and actually being able to take better decisions or worse decisions depending on how you see it based on that data so it's a lot of it is uh, popularity algorithms in, on steroids. Uh, and, and again, I mean, the popularity algorithms that we've already seen making decisions on what we see on the internet and, and which are not necessarily working. And, and now you're getting similar algorithms in some ways, kind of looking at content on the internet. What you're looking for in an algorithm like that is to see a pattern what people are saying about something. So if a lot of people are saying a thing, then maybe that's something that you assume to be true. Uh, which also means that it's relatively potentially easy to manipulate the algorithms and get people to then believe something which is not true. Now, that's besides the discussion on, on AI in general, where you're asking uh, AI to give you answers. And the AI tool, chat tool, typically gives very clear answers to questions. It sounds like it knows what it's talking about. And sometimes the information is relatively correct, and sometimes it's just totally off. But mm -hmm. it will always sound that it like it knows what it's saying, and that it's the information is 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 true. And it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, again, uh, as an example of this, um, I was just doing a test myself. I mean, I was looking up with one of those tools. My great grandfather was a composer in Iceland. Okay, just to find it, and initially didn't. And then specified Icelandic. It found my great grandfather, told me that he was a composer, which he was, but also that he was a conductor, which he wasn't, mm. and that he worked in the U.S., which he definitely didn't. So it's 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 kind of like okay, it, it went from yes, there is a certain level of truth it got right, and then it got a lot of things wrong, and in some ways, it, at this level, it's kind of almost just funny. Because it's so off at times, and and if you know the answer, then it's great. If I wouldn't know the answer, I wouldn't know that what the information I was giving was actually off. Maybe it ends up becoming ninety percent correct. But the problem is, how do you know what the ten percent and the ninety percent and and, and like? There's a lot of problems with this, and again, I think if we are looking at the other algorithms that have been in play, 
is there another case of where these algorithms can be manipulated to have an influence and on your uh, people's decision making and and people's view of the world where already today we as a as, as a partly a consequence of the use of the algorithms that are in use today we have people seemingly living on different planets even though they're living next door to each other yes they've been fed and also are producing and sharing with each other information that they are uh, agreeing upon without alternative use kind of there in whatever channel it is that they are they may be getting reinforcement of a view but but the point is they don't start with that view they get content based on maybe who they are their age uh, their kind of ethnicity there, whatever. There's, there are some points that go into this and then depending on that and what they start with and following, maybe getting very different information and content and uh, which leads to people basically seemingly living on different planets, even though they're living on the same one. Yes, which is fascinating. <laughs> I was uh, wondering uh, a little bit about the difference between your company, the Vivaldi, and what you're doing differently than other well-known browsers with, when it comes to what kind of information you uh, are collecting or not even collecting that might be available, but you're not like collecting it, but it's still something you have available and how you encrypt information. Uh, is there kind of an extra measures taken to protect us? Well, I think the most important thing that we do is is is, is basically so. If you're going on on and you're visiting sites, the sites will want to collect information about you. And so we have the, the tracker blocker and the ad blockers, which can kind of reduce, at the very least, the level of information that those sites are able to track. Uh, so that will help keep you safe. And the important thing that we're also not doing then, and that's the only other side, uh, which is we are not an ad company. We have no need to collect information about what you're doing on the internet. And and again, some of our competitors will collect. I mean, there's different ways to collect information. You can collect by sending data from the browser to home. You can collect data by Basically, instead, just visiting sites and then, I mean, sometimes it's the same companies that are collecting data because they're providing all the technologies which allow them to collect, not necessarily through the browser, but in other locations. Or you can do the other side, which is basically you collect in the browser. You're not really sending anything anywhere, but you're actually building a profile on the computer, which then fetches ads based on what you're browsing. Mm. and now some seem to think that that being that that is more private mm -hmm. to me it's kind of the opposite because you collect more information because if you're if you have a browser and you do tracker blocking and the like then you may the different sites may not get the information uh to the same level but if you're collecting on the machine itself then there is kind of no limitation then you get everything that people are doing so even though the information isn't per se shared, you still make algorithms that make decisions on what people see. So Google, for example, has been wanting to introduce solutions like that. Uh, there's Flock and Topic. So Flock was the first attempt. Topic yeah. is the second attempt. And in both cases, they're basically, again, collecting information about what you're doing in the browser and building a profile on you, which then can collect, can fetch ads. 
so that's kind of this 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 concept and we've been wanting to to stop things like that from happening so we have not only been kind of not implementing those solutions uh, but we've also been writing about why they're wrong and mm. i think there was a lot of people that reacted strongly to these solutions that google was coming up with which is why they haven't really fully implemented them yet because they've been getting backlash yeah, but they do have do have some kind of profiles on us don't they or Google has, uh, I mean, you can go and look at their Google profile, but the Google profile may be coming from other sources. Mm -hmm. So there is Google Analytics. Google Analytics is a free piece of software that they provide to site owners to get information about people that visit the site. But by default, that would then be shared with Google. So Google is on the server side collecting an awful lot of information. Uh, then typically, if you're writing into the address field in most browsers, that will send information to the search engine about what you're typing even before you search. Yeah. Now, one thing is to do the search and 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 do things. Another thing is to type take whatever you're typing before that, because you might be visiting a website or doing other things, which does not mean actually doing the search. Uh, so 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 again, it's it's details like this which I I, I do think kind of kind of matter. Mm. So yes, there is a difference between how we are doing things and how most i mean should we say in particular the big guys uh, are doing things yes and and what's your kind of business model then how do you how do you earn uh, like a living <laughs> well what we do we, we we actually i mean we do have agreements with different search engines so basically if you're searching through the browser uh, then we will get uh, some revenues from them uh, we have deals with different search engines, mm. uh, not with Google, but with some others. And then we include some bookmarks, which if you use those bookmarks, they generate revenue for us. So it's a referral fee, basically. So if people save it, then you get some kind of... Um... Yeah, so if, if you go to, there's a booking.com li link, and if you follow our booking.com link and you order uh, a room, then we would get a small small uh part of that so instead yeah so that's kind of instead of uh you selling information about the per people that are in creating kind of uh future profiles or maybe current profiles and also creating um basically collecting data on individual people you would rather basically. use the other way and um the old way really it's kind of the, yeah. the classical ad classic yeah it, it, it's more a typical kind of uh, sponsored by or whatever i mean typically you would have something like that and then okay if you if you if you click that and use that then we get revenues if you don't then we don't get anything so yeah. the same okay. applies kind of the search engines and the like if you use the built-in search engines then we make some revenues from that but you can actually remove what we include you can add your own uh, and then we don't make any money at all. But that's uh, to me, it's a clean model. Yeah. It's simple and clean, and it's not about collecting data. No, but still, it's about facilitating the market uh, that is out there and of everything the market of knowledge, the market of sales. And I believe a lot of people are not aware of the differences between when you use a browser and when you use a 
um, uh, like what is going on there, what is happening, what kind of, and the differences between the browsers, the between uh, if you if you go to Google and search through them, or if you uh, go through to someone else, and and uh, when you download an app today, you always get these consent forms. So it says like yeah, a lot of things that takes forever to read, and then you and then you um, so do you agree. And in order to download it quickly, of course, agree. And if you read it, it's it's actually it takes a long time, and it is also. Uh, not very friendly, like user-friendly language. A lot of the time, like after you're done with that, you you downloaded it and you agreed, and then you're just using it mm. and um, not thinking about that again. So one thing is like kind of the actual uh, agreeing to something that you're doing. Uh, I, I don't know much about what I'm agreeing to. And on the other hand, I also forget about that later on and don't really know the difference between these things like what are we like really saying yes to here and i'm wondering also like, in the future uh so these kind of because these agreements are so so big that i mean they might actually involve such a language that opens up for changes in the future that we already said yes to yeah, in a way. So, I mean, I, I really think that it's it's problematic that uh, in a lot of cases, it's seemingly thought that as long as you ask for permission, then it's okay. Uh, and I think, like you say, very few read through these documents. It's a special group of people that does. Probably a number of them are, would be using our software. Uh, we, we actually try to make this readable and understandable. But but I, I really think it shouldn't be needed. It should be basically saying, okay, these are the things that it's acceptable to do. These are the things that are not acceptable to do. And you shouldn't really be asking the question at all. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, in some ways, this also applies to the GDPR, where if you visit uh, websites and you get kind of this uh, dialogue asking you questions. Now, it's true that most of the dialogues do not follow the intention of the law, which is it should be clear yes and no answers. Uh, in reality, there's a yes and a very difficult no, mm. uh, or an impossible one. Yeah. Uh, so I really think there should just be, okay, there should be rules what you're allowed to do as a company and what you're not allowed to do. And the user shouldn't have to answer that question because the user is in no position to yeah. give an answer to that question other than yes, in a way. I mean as a user you don't have a choice you you want a mobile phone you want a mobile phone with a the, one of the two operating systems that is everyone is using you have to accept there's yeah. no choice yes you can choose to use uh, an old phone with a limited operating system that doesn't do anything but i mean in reality for most people they need to have one of android or ios kind of apple phone and they will have to accept the terms and conditions. And there is no kind of yes or no. I mean, it's the same with if you're setting up your computer. Um, mm. Microsoft will ask you a, a few questions. Uh, I mean, most people won't really look at those questions. And they will just think, OK, it's all good. But in many ways, Microsoft isn't giving you a choice. Mm. Uh, so it's it's difficult and i really think there needs to be rules and regulations and no ambiguity on kind of what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do as a company
Yeah. So, so rather regulate what uh, they can collect of data and uh, rather than regulating that they have to ask us for permission. Yeah. So basically say, now you may, as a company, uh, and I think this is important, you may uh, have to have access to a fair amount of data. For example, if you're hosting email, then you will have people's emails. But that doesn't mean that you should be kind of reading them without reason, right? So things like that. Uh, you shouldn't be scanning them. You shouldn't be utilizing them to, I mean, some people think may think that if they get an email in where it says that they just ordered a trip to the Bahamas, that is great that they're seeing ads for it everywhere else. And that seemingly everyone knows that they're going to the Bahamas. <laughs> but I mean, to me, that's the kind of misuse of the data. So if, if we get access to user data as a company, we should be taking care of it. We should uh, try to avoid it being kind of getting astray and we should not be allowed to use it for other purposes than providing the service to the user. Mm. So just uh, but the, the seeming thinking has been, yes, so, okay, you give me your data and I can use it any way I can to, to do ads and the like, and that's kind of the deal. I think if we take that deal off the table uh, and you just say, okay, you may have access to, to data, but you can't use them for other purposes, then I think we've kind of come pretty far. It might mean that for some companies, they have to change their business models. Maybe that isn't a bad thing. Mm, yes, maybe that isn't. Are you thinking that this might just um, be amplified tremendously with the use of AI? Have I mean, you... AI algorithms can make things worse. Yeah, I mean, I, again, depending on gradually getting better at knowing us and knowing how to influence us, that's not necessarily a, a good thing. No, no. And 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 the news that we're going to see and read uh, in the future, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you see the you see a lot of uh, traditional news uh, uh, providers are struggling, like. You can't really there it's it's tough to have a news channel that's not big not one of the big ones and and it's tough to have especially a, like a newspaper uh so everyone's going online now and then when you go online you have all these great tools that can help you produce stuff fast you don't need maybe that specialized uh, uh people working on providing the news uh and and eventually maybe journalist. Uh, you only need good journalists in certain areas for commercial stuff. Maybe it's it's not going to be a person there because it's really not considered that uh, strict. Have you thought about whether the kind of not only the disinformation that will come from the use of AI, but also maybe um, kind of these fake narratives? I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways, we are already seeing the precursor to that. Uh, I mean, we are seeing, I mean, on the one side, so you have people that put in a, a lot of hard work with writing articles and they put them out there and then uh, kind of they're trying to to make a buck from writing great articles, uh, whether it's newspapers or or, uh, or kind of otherwise content providers. But yeah. then the, you're the, you have those that take kind of quick, uh, quick ways, which either take content from others and rewrite it slightly uh, or just kind of make up a story, right? Now, the AI can help you make up a story uh, easier. 
but they've been able to make up these stories and then they put them out there so they are available on Facebook and then they generate revenues through, I mean, they basically make clickbaits, right? Mm. Uh, so the current kind of model favors the fake content. Well, if you think about it, if you're making real content, you have to put in a lot of effort. And then you maybe don't have as much money to kind of spend on getting the content out there. Mm. While the others, they don't spend a lot of time and resources making the content. So they can spend a lot of funding on basically buying traffic. Yeah. So it's 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 kind of uh, the op the models are more optimized for this second group. And, and uh, I mean, clearly that's unfortunate. It's like kind of like cheating on an exam when you're like the people who cheated on the exam if it was kind of if there was a teacher who didn't follow like would really watch the students like it it really the ones who actually cheated uh, would never stop so you would see that they, that that just continued for years and years they never stopped they never learned to actually do the work because there's no incentive to stop well, well, I guess uh, in this case, there there's a lot of incentive to continue because you have actually have a working business model which is based on on making things up. Making things up, yes, <laughs> and you and it there is like complete freedom. It's to... always yeah. I mean, I, and and it, it's it's really sad, and 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 you see how this is kind of, again, uh, the fake news that is coming is obviously made up content uh, and and fake uh, articles and. And 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 the like, and and I mean, it's rather easy to make things up if you don't need to to check. I mean, you would know if you're writing one kind of a master thesis or so. You could you could probably write your two hundred pages or whatever it is in a fairly short time if you didn't have to fact check stuff. Yes, of course, it's it's <laughs> much, much easier to do that. I mean, um, and and then on the other side, I I guess a lot of people are saying thinking that um, but what is really knowledge and skill set do we really need uh, so for instance like there's a lot of uh discussion about use of chat gpt and uh by students and that we won't be able to differentiate real work from kind of um yeah cheating or it's not really cheating yet we haven't defined it yet but it's kind of using the use of ai this ai tool and it's kind of like when uh, some people compare it to when the calculator came and some people were upset about the fact that uh, we got some tool to do the calculations for us uh, rather than doing them ourselves. But then eventually we all use ca uh, calculators in our everywhere and in statistical programs, they, it calculates everything for us, but we don't really need those skills. It's different here with text. I mean, I, I think it's possible to use this tool in many ways, and I think it actually can provide positives as well. Mm -hmm. But the problem is obviously, if you're using it to to cheat at school, or should we say, if you're using it to do your homework, then you're not learning skills. And I think, I mean, uh, yes, uh, you can say you can get away with uh, on on the math side to using a calculator, but I still think there's value in understanding the basic of of of, of math, right? So. Mm -hmm. It's it's all a question of uh, what are you trying to achieve? So if the point is, if you're at university and the point is basically to learn certain skills, then you shouldn't let the machine do it for you. Mm. If if the point is just to solve a task, that is a different kind of issue. And then you can utilize 
tools to help you get there as long as the tools and generate uh, of of the quality and the like. So I mean, I, I don't like with so many other technologies, you can utilize it in good and bad ways. I, I think it still apply. It even applies to the calculator. If because you have a calculator, you're no longer learning math and you just put things in and you have no concept of whether the answer is right or wrong, yeah. then you have a problem, right? Mm -hmm. If it can help you do the tasks quicker, but you kind of realize whether uh, kind of the answer is uh, off the chart or, or correct, then it's it can be helpful. So it's it's mm -hmm. it's finding the right balance and the right ways to use the tools to do the things that they should be doing having a deep understanding of what they're what these tools are doing uh, and what they're not doing and uh, be in some way to detect uh, the patterns of their behaviors and output yeah i mean i think there are ways to i mean as an example there's one norwegian company curapod uh, that is kind of doing helping you set up presentations right so you say, okay, help me make a presentation on a topic and it will help put up some slides which you can then edit and check. And I mean, uh, if if the content of this is, is, is coming out in a good way, it can help you. Maybe if you're struggling with the, the, putting in the right structure and then you can add things. So it's basically getting an outline. For some people doing an outline can be really hard. Can it help you do that? And then you fill in the content. I think there are ways that it, the, the tools can help you to get your your tasks done but it's all a question of are you making it harder or easier for you in the end or are you getting the right content are you getting the right results are you still learning mm, mm, mm. are you still learning yeah so i tried this tool called gamma and i just asked him can you uh, can you make a, a presentation about the use of ai uh, in in different in a in in a particular setting i just asked uh, about and I specified kind of a few things. It was like kind of like Chat GPT, and I put it in, and it just made a whole presentation for me with images, uh, with um, content about uh, the content was there. All of the slides were filled out, and and uh, it looked so uh, so professional, like a lot more professional than uh, when I make it myself. And and but what fascinated me was that. The content was there, like it really was. There was content, but it wasn't good enough at all. Mm. So it couldn't. It wasn't even close to what I would have needed in order to have this presentation. Uh, uh, it was. Uh, it was uh, very. It was basic. Uh, it is. It didn't follow. Like it made a very generalized presentation that couldn't be used for anything. It's it's just like googling something. People would get more information from that. But maybe that will change in the future. Maybe the contents also will be very kind of uh, great using these tools. Maybe and not just the form, because it's obvious that the format when you create these things, it's it's uh, it's unbelievable. I think a lot of it is about basically what are you feeding it. Right. And this is uh, and how are you influencing kind of and I think if you're taking things off the Internet, then you'll end up with what you have on the Internet, which is uh, interesting at times. Right. Yeah. But if you're having good sources, then there should be a, a, a greater chance of getting better content. Uh, 
and more useful content, right? I mean, and 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 maybe it can then be useful to help you and actually give, if if you're asking, if you were to feed into this machine kind of a lot of research papers, uh, for example, and it will give you answers based on those research papers, maybe it actually would be useful. Mm. Uh, and where it's actually referring, for example, to. Uh, where it found the text, it would actually tell you where it found the text, so you can actually verify the source and see that you're uh, liking the source. And and I've seen, for example, um, in in Bing Chat, where they're using, uh, they actually put in uh, where they found uh, the information, and I, I think that actually is it's helpful. On the other hand, Microsoft were found to yet again be doing their thing, which was uh, if you search for Chrome, in this case, you would get basically a text describing why you should be using Bing and Edge. And this is, I guess, this is what we all know. You're, you're, you're on your Windows PC and you're looking for another browser and Microsoft will do whatever they can to mm -hmm. get you to not do that. And in this case, they were then changing the, the chat Wow. kind of uh, the AI service to basically mm. give the answer that they would like you to get uh, instead of actually the more correct answer. Oh. So that got kind of got into a few newspapers and then obviously they made a change. But, but I think it didn't take them long to do that. Um, and it, it's kind of like, I guess, uh, reminding me of when Microsoft bought Encarta the encyclopedia yeah the first yeah. The, the first change they did was the description of bill gates oh wow uh, and I, I think it was something it used to say that he was a tough businessman and it changed into him being great on philanthropy which may be true today but not at the time right right it's it's kind of it, <laughs> editing history in a way it's uh... yeah i mean it, i mean it's kind of like, okay, that's not independent. Uh, I mean, you want sources to be accurate. You want that to be the focus. And and I guess that's going to be really the question. What's the most important when they're making those tools? Are there business kind of questions that come into play? Like in this case, it's more important for them to try to get you to use their browser rather than basically providing the most accurate answer. Uh, so, uh, so they've, I guess, they proved the point that they could actually manipulate the answer to be whatever answer they wanted it to be. Mm. So, uh, which kind of, again, puts in question the tool. The tool is still uh, as weak as the input that it gets, right? So, there's basically, if you have bad input, you'll get bad output. I think that's a given, more or less. Mm. If you have good input and you put things in, 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 in together in the right way, I think we could potentially see some useful tools come out of this. But again, we have to see how this evolves uh, over time. It's, it's interesting how many of the people uh, that have been involved with making this technology are now warning against it. But that's similar to basically what was happening with Facebook. Everyone kind of leaving Facebook and saying, you you know, what Facebook is doing is not good. That's That's a problem, right? There's a lot of whistleblowers. Yes. In this company, and and, and it's kind of uh, says something about yes. something. If you have whistleblowers in your company, 
I think that's well, it. I think, I mean, uh, I mean, the interest, this isn't just whistleblowers. This is the people at the highest levels that have been the most involved with making the technology, which are saying the company I used to work for is not staying on the straight and narrow and there needs to be regulation or change and you need to be aware. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's kind of fascinating. I mean, with the AI where you have kind of the people's leading the way there that are basically saying kind of this is this is going to be great but regulators before we do anything wrong <laughs> i mean it's it, it it's fascinating in a way uh the whole discussion uh that the most vocal people in some ways with regards to artificial intelligence with regards to be careful are the ones that have been the most involved with making it yeah, yeah. I, I believe that sometimes you're working on something, you know that it potentially, if it works, can be very influential. But then it when it actually becomes as influential as you've hoped for or feared, uh, you understand that you shouldn't have made it at all. Yeah, I mean, th th this is the question. And obviously, we don't know whether, I mean, I think with this technology, like so many technologies, there is uh, the potential to do good with the technology. There's a potential to go do bad. Mm -hmm. And we just have to see if we are wise enough to make the right choices there. I think so too. With the internet, there's a lot of talk about privacy and, and people are very concerned about uh, data collecting and, and, and misuse of it and manipulation of it. And then you get these movements. And, and, and I don't know a lot about this, but... I, I hear the buzzwords Web3 and blockchain a lot lately in different mm -hmm. corridors where people are like, I think that's going to be the next thing. First of all, I don't know exactly what it is. Uh, so I'm wondering if you can uh, explain to me. I, I only like the only thing I know is like the very simplified versions that I read here and there. Um, and the other thing is, uh, what do you think about its potential and uh, what is it really? I think blockchain, uh, Web3, crypto, the kind of these things have similar, they have different names, but they're all related, right? So when it comes to the web, you have one web and it was created by Tim Berners-Lee. And then you talked about Web2, which was kind of a, a more interactive web kind of going both ways. And like, I mean, depending on who you ask, you may get different answers to what Web2 is. Web3 is co-opting the, the name web to basically try to market a product that is something totally different. Mm. So it's, I mean, blockchain has nothing to do with the web. Mm. And the concept, I mean, basically with crypto, you're always trying to find a way to use it. And then, I mean, typically when you have blockchain, you also have crypto, mm. most all cases. So basically this is a way to market uh, a, a new way of utilizing the internet where you integrate blockchain which is a technical solution looking for a problem to solve but tends to be quite inefficient and not really helpful i'm not saying blockchain can't be used for anything mm. but I, I think the web3 thing that's bad because so, again it, it's giving the impression it has something to do with the web it has nothing to do with the web it's basically someone trying to create something new uh, and, and again, there is crypto involved. So Web3 will not be kind of a, it's not a platform that's alternative and that where we can see kind of people leaving Web2 and going only, only going into Web3. You don't think so, no? 
No, I mean, the web is the web, and the, the Web3 thing is, is something totally different, where you're basically talking about user blockchain and distributed kind of web. But you can do distributed web without a blockchain and without Web3. It, it, it has no use. And if you don't believe me, ask Tim Berners-Lee, because mm -hmm. he's actually written and talked about this himself, and he's basically said just about the same thing that I did, probably in a more elegant way. Right. I, I will check that out. And uh, so, I, so I guess you're not investing in blockchain. <laughs> no, I mean, I, uh, the, the point is, I mean, I had friends and, and a lot of people talk to me about blockchain for the, over the years. And, and I started reading about, about blockchain, about kind of crypto, about this whole thing. And to me, and I've written a blog about it. It took me a long time to get that out, where we talked about why we are not getting into crypto. And to me, blockchain, crypto, Web3, it's, it's kind of all related in, in, in a way. So uh, the, the point is crypto is a pyramid scheme. It's a scam. It's, there's no reason companies should be able to print their own money. It gets pretty ugly when they're talking about kind of their ways to do seeding of these cryptocurrencies. A currency that, well, it isn't really a currency, but a pyramid scheme that no one is involved in isn't really much of a pyramid scheme. So you need to get people involved. And then they'll do things like give it to poor people. Uh, and then they claim it's it's because it's a nice way to do kind of money transfers or something because money transfer can be very expensive at times. But this isn't the solution. There are better solutions or you can make solutions that don't create this volatility. Any currency that is so volatile that it goes up or down tens of thousands of percent is not a good currency. And, and, and I mean, to me, the, the first time I got really was reading about things and I'm talking about crypto here, but I see all of those related was friends of mine in Iceland that wanted me to get involved with an Icelandic cryptocurrency because the idea was that uh, the Icelandic currency was too unstable. Well, I mean... Anyone that's looked at any cryptocurrency will say that the Icelandic currency looks tremendously stable, stable in comparison. <laughs> uh, even though it is, I mean, over the years, I think the worry was it was going more down than up, but it's kind of more, been actually more stable recently. But it was after the after the crash, and there were some people that had some ideas. I think this is very unfortunate. I, I really think uh, what both of us want, we want stability. We want stability in our currencies. We want stability in the interest rates. We want stability so we can make plans. Yeah. We don't, this instability thing is only good if you're using it for investment and gambling, basically. And because I think it, it goes into the gambling territory. And that's what we are really talking about. So whenever someone takes something as ugly as crypto, and combines that with the web, and calls it web three. Um, to me, that's, that's not a good thing. It's, it's interesting what you're saying there with regards to uh, the arguments for providing a tool for money transfers for people who don't have access to traditional channels. And so it's kind of this argument of democratizing uh, economic tools and, and, and opportunities. But it is interesting to see who, uh, who the people are who lose, take the biggest risk. Mm. 
Um, I mean, the point is typically the ones that start, mm. there are different ways to do this. And, and, and uh, I mean, if you're using where you're doing so-called mining, if you're the first to mine, then you make the most money and those that mine later get less and less. So a typical pyramid scheme. Uh, or you have an initial coin offering where you mm. kind of give away parts of the coins, but you keep some of it yourself. So when people then start to trade this, not necessarily use it for buying or selling, but basically trade it among themselves because the value goes up, the the, val the thing that you kept for yourself is getting a lot of value. I mean, to me, this is all just various uh, elements of scams, and I have yet to see kind of things that aren't. Yes. Um, and and, and I, again, I mean, I have discussions because I know people that are into this and have a different view than me, and they don't like my opinions on this. Um, yeah. But, uh, but and, and, and I mean, some of these people are even my friends, and I feel very sorry, but I can't really, I, I feel an obligation because a lot of this is uh, focusing on technology, and I'm feeling that people are using technical mumbo-jumbo to basically present something that's not really that complicated. It's 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 kind of a way that to typically make a lot of money, which is why there's a lot of interest in it, and it's a lot of money for some people and potentially massive losses for others. Mm, yes, yes, because someone has to lose for someone to 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 gain in that. That well, was... you could have a pyramid. I mean, it's kind of with these pyramid schemes, they work really well until they don't, and okay. and kind of that's what we've been seeing now with a lot of the crashes. Uh, and it seems like, I mean, I, again, for a technology that's supposed to be so safe and so kind of private and all of those things, and at the same time, you're always seeing ways where it's the opposite. Yeah, that's so interesting. The way you work and the, the perspectives you have, I mean, you're obviously an entrepreneur and a businessman, but it's interesting that you are also considerate of how you uh, what your business model looks like and the implications of it which is very responsible where, where, where do you think that kind of that moral compass came from like where well, you, have you always been like this or I, I don't know if that's the right way to say it but it's kind of where do you have you always cared about kind of these things and uh, have you cared about like fairness in and of itself and 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 rights and stuff like that but i i do think so all those things are important and and I, and and but i don't like to consider myself being different from most people on this i actually consider most people to want to do the right thing mm. i don't think most people want to create pyramid schemes i don't think uh, i think there are some people and companies that are ethically challenged but I think both, basically most people want to do the right thing. And I think in some ways, I'd like to keep that thought in my mind. Also, when it comes to businesses and, and the like, the assumption that every business is out to do bad things, I think is a, can be a way to self-fulfilling prophecy. If you understand what I mean, that there is an expectation that everyone should just do the, the wrong thing. And and I guess in the stock market, some people have had this view that basically the only thing that matters is the returns to the shareholders. And I think it's more complicated than that, that you have an obligation in what you're doing uh, as a company to try to kind of promote a, a better world. That's part of what you're doing. You're part of a system and you try to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And 
I think I, I still believe that, I mean, for some, it's basically just about getting, getting, uh, kind of getting by for companies and, 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 and people, but they're not doing bad things. Mm. Others, I mean, I think a lot of us, we would like to do things that actually make a difference. And, and for me, working with the web has been part of that. I, I mean, starting with basically adapting to the needs of, of individuals, right? Thinking, okay, we should adapt to every individual. Uh, then continuing with adapting, I mean, being part of getting people online in parts of the world, which otherwise wouldn't be there. I mean, is this for me personally, would I, if I was saying who has influenced me, I mean, that would be my family, right? It's mm -hmm. kind of my father, my mother, my grandparents. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think installing what I hope are good values mm. is, 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 is kind of a, a positive thing. And as I said, with, with, with my father, there was always this focus on adapting to the needs of the individuals and seeing the, the needs of people and, and trying to do the right thing. So for me, that's been important. Mm, yes. A disclaimer, I have to uh, let a listener know that I know your father very well and that we've been, uh, he, I known him for, 20 some years uh, I think uh, he was uh, my first mentor in psychology and um, and uh, so I be, uh, very much recognize uh, some of these same intentions I have to say one thing I could mention is I've been interviewing more people now many people and and uh, a lot of very successful individuals when I ask them who their biggest inspirational sources are they say their parents either the mother or the father, a lot of the times, like a lot of things have come from them. That's not surprising, but I think it's fascinating to hear. I guess it's natural that our parents and then our family influences. And, and, and I think that's a given. Obviously there is, it's more complicated. We have friends, we have uh, all the people that we meet over the years. I've, I've had the luck of really working with a lot of great people uh it's been a privilege uh, both at opera at vivaldi and, and obviously in particular a lot of really smart and thoughtful people that are trying to do the right thing um so so for me that's that's obviously been been unique mm. Is, has that been a part of your process when you're recruiting people do you do you go for skill sets or uh, and very specific skill sets, or do you think more about those values? I think what I'm finding generally is that people are applying for work and, and wanting to work in, with my companies because they look at who we are, we how we present ourselves, and they like what they're seeing and they want to contribute. I mean, what's been unique about like Vivaldi and we had the same at Opera actually is that we have a lot of volunteers. Mm -hmm. So we are a company now Vivaldi, we have about 55 people mm -hmm. and we have hundreds of volunteers uh, that are helping us test the product, translate the product, even kind of help and, 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 and kind of tell the story out there because they think that what we are doing is important. So they, they share that. We then have people that actually uh, join the company that have been volunteers before. So it's happened a, a number of times that we've hired volunteers and they become full-time employees instead. Uh, we've also had the other way. 
which is people quitting the company and becoming volunteers. Oh wow, <laughs> that's interesting. Yes, and and I'm I mean I, I I am very proud of the the fact that okay they've seen the inside of the company they've seen how we work they still like to keep around so we actually have a number of people that are former Opera employees even former Vivaldi employees that are volunteering for us and I mean I mean I'm obviously humbled and grateful by by this I mean it's 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 rather special but. I, I hope and believe that people are realizing that we are doing, trying to do the right thing, and and uh, yeah, they they want to see us succeed, and they're trying to help that, and they think it's there's a value in in in, in us kind of growing and and having an influence. Yeah, it, it really is inspiring to hear, and um, when you're talking about that as well, I mean, they believe in you, <laughs> and it shows uh, trust and and support for the overall. Uh, mission, but what is the overall mission for the future? Where where do you think you're going? Do you have any specified plans for where you want to take the company in the next few years? I mean, what we are trying to do is to continue on the path that we are, which is to adapt to the needs of the individuals. And again, instead of building software, it's which. It's my way or the highway. That tends to be kind of the way you design for a certain group of people and you optimize. In our case, we're trying to adapt to the end users based on their requirements. It has to be said, probably that means a fair amount of our users are a little bit more advanced, but everyone is welcome, right? And and, and we try to basically put things in place so it's 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 great for the individuals. We're also trying to provide a way for people that want to get away from big tech, mm. uh, providing a pathway for them. We can be part of that pathway, but there's obviously other companies and, and services that they need to make choices on mm. that can help them kind of get away from big tech and and, and kind of mm. have solutions there. And, and mm. then we will continue to basically try to influence regulation and the like with regards to, for example, things like... Uh, like privacy and, and the collection of data. And, and I mean, we did uh, a little video, which I think everyone should see, with the Icelandic Consumer Council. Uh, it's it's on bandspying.org. There are cats involved. Um, I think everyone should see that. But I mean, it's part of what we are trying to do, which is to get a certain message out that, uh, I mean, we believe that the internet is really important. We believe that it's important that we get it back on the straight and narrow because I think we are having a little bit of a bumpy road now. And part of that is, is basically doing regulations as to what you can and cannot do with people's data. Yeah, I, I really do think that's uh, important and that we need to combine that regula regulatory agency or, or kind of mission with uh, AI that there is kind of that we don't look at one without looking at the other and that voices from from the in internet field are being heard and listened to when it comes to uh, regulations of AI tools and, and vice versa. Yeah, I think in, in a way what we are thinking, I mean, my thinking uh, definitely very relevant for the internet and, and the like the use of data. And I think it's relevant for AI as well, basically, that you shouldn't misuse data. 
I do think that you probably need more regulation on AI than than, than what I'm proposing there. So I, I, I think it's very important that we keep an eye out for this and, and ensure that the technology becomes a positive technology and not a negative one. I think it has the potential to, I mean, I always like to see the potential in technology, but obviously I am concerned about the companies that are leading the way there because they haven't been doing making all the right choices in my world. Yes, and now they're entering this other world as well, mm. which is kind of you, you see in you see in their ways. <laughs> My concern is when you have large companies uh, going into a new market, which there's a lot of potential for mistakes. Kind of what we've seen in the big data kind of and and the use of data, and they are competing, and some of them see this as do or die for them. I think there's a lot of potential for mistakes that they may be uh, cutting corners. So I don't think any of them, I don't expect them to be wanting to do bad things, but I also don't think they wanted to kind of create a divided world. I think it basically was a consequence of some uh, actions where they didn't understand the consequences. But then you ended up being, kind of that ended up being the way well, um, I, I, I really, I know you have, um, yeah, you have a, another appointment now, so I'm, I'm not going to take up more of your time. It, um, it's been really, really nice to talk to you again. Uh, I have to say, um, and I, I really, it's inspiring that you care so much about people and and providing tools to help us, but not to not to take advantage of the opportunities that that tools give that tool gives you which i find it's very fascinating and inspiring so uh, with that i would like to thank you so much for uh, this conversation uh, unless you have anything else you want to say <laughs> if i know you have to go <laughs> i've enjoyed our, our chat and uh, I, I think i mean basically i would like to just urge everyone to Make good choices. I think that's that's really it. I mean, think about kind of what's good for society, and 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 uh, I think uh, if, if if everyone thinks a little bit outside themselves, I think when it comes to privacy, a lot of people say things like, "I don't have anything to hide." Yes. Uh, uh, and I think this privacy is the personal problem. It's a society problem. Uh, and I think if we try to see it as that, then we can solve it as a society problem. And by doing that, we can also solve the personal side. But I really think the problem is much more of a society problem than anything else. And if we all treat it as that and then consider not, okay, does it matter to me? But rather, is it good that someone has a lot of information on us, which they're willing to sell or make available to others for a fee? Uh, or utilized to influencers, kind of, do we want that or not? And I think we would all come to the same conclusion that this isn't necessary. We don't need this. I think it's better for society if we uh, try to move in a direction that brings us together instead of dividing us. That's a very perfect ending. I agree. Thank you so much, Jun. Thank you. Following the conversation with Jun, I have taught about how important it is that there are different internet and tech players out there. The internet has given us a fantastic access to information, but in many cases, this access has a price, namely our own data. This transaction could be legit, 
but it can also be more transparent. In the time ahead of us, we will probably encounter more personalized information and solutions where our needs will be covered in ways that provide more opportunities for more people than ever before. One example of this is web-based training and education. The players will be many and their ways of handling our data will vary. If we are curious and actively assess the business models of the big tech companies and their collaborators, we can also make more informed and proactive choices about who we seek out to get our needs met. I'm attaching some articles about the topics Yun is referring to in the recommended reading list for the interested listener. I also recommend the Vivaldi website and their news section for more information about such matters. I hope this conversation will inspire you to take part in this dialogue as we move forward. Thank you for listening in to the Chameleons podcast. I'm your host, Imak Samrana. Thank you.